ESPN Radio. Cleveland Browns organization released statements about the Deshaun Watson acquisition. The Cleveland Browns put out three statements to rationalize with themselves that they did the work and now they're leaning toward believing him. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty on the ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on ESPN Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Chris Canty 99 at Amber W790 or join the conversation on the Canty call in line 1888-SAY-ESPN-888-729-3776. And that's where we head right now. Mark, he's in Houston. Mark, what's going on? Yes, ma'am. I was just calling to find out why is there so much uproar about this when the NFL has been doing this for a while. I mean, you have executives, you have owners doing all of this, even the players, and now we're making it a big deal. But, you know, Sunday at 12 o'clock, I will be right there watching them. That's the problem. Well, that's very honest of you, Mark. I would say, and and listen, I'm I'm a lawyer. I represent, you know, I've represented my firm represents dozens of NFL players against all sorts of allegations, and I've had a front row seat to a lot mm. of these things. What I do think is unusual about this situation, because of of course we've seen this all across the NFL, that surprises nobody. And again, it's not surprising that Deshaun Watson is playing and that he's playing for a good team now and that he's a starting quarterback. Nobody's disputing that, I don't think, right? We're not all of a sudden expecting these teams to take some sort of moral stand. But it's surprising the sheer, first of all, number of accusers. That is surprising. We haven't seen that, I don't believe, in NFL history before, although we've seen some heinous things in NFL history. And then also the size of this contract and the way it's structured, but the size of this contract, he became the highest paid player in NFL history during this time in the midst of all of this. And that separates this situation, Chris, to me, than a lot of the other NFL players that we've seen play through accusations and play through even criminal cases and even play after jail time. But typically a a player's market suffers some, or at least he's not renegotiating or getting a new deal four years before he would have been a free agent and becoming the highest paid player in the entire NFL in the midst of all that. Like that is absolutely remarkable when this many women have accused you of something. And it's just, it's hard. It's hard to process this. This is an ugly situation for Deshaun. There's no doubt about it. And the sheer number of accusers makes it hard to believe that there was no wrongdoing on Deshaun's part. Now, that being said, it doesn't seem like criminal charges are going to be pursued. And as you've mentioned before, on the legal front, we might not ever hear of the evidence and hear the depositions and all of this stuff. All these stuff might be settled before we even get to a trial for the civil cases. And so I think that's an interesting facet of all of this because we are – we all want some type of resolution to this situation, and we want to determine definitively whether or not Deshaun is the bad guy or whether the women accusing him you know, brought up something that was frivolous. Like we, we just we want that in order for us to be able to move past it, but I think we're all going to have to resign ourselves to the fact that we might not ever get that. Now, as far as the NFL is concerned, this is a terrible look. I, I, I don't think you can you frame it any other way. But I don't think this is something that's not that's going to affect the NFL's bottom line, Amber. I just I just don't. 
I've seen too much from the NFL, whether it comes to what happened with Michael Vick and him going to jail for a couple of years and then coming back and making a Pro Bowl with the Eagles and getting a contract extension. We saw Ray Lewis get arrested for double murder. Now, of course, he was absolved of those charges, but he went on to be one of the prominent figures in NFL history and, you know, winning a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. I'm just – you've had – Leonard Little actually killed somebody with DUI and played in the National Football League. We've had those situations where players have run afoul of law enforcement and had really ugly situations. I'm not comparing them and saying that they're just like what Deshaun is going through. All I'm simply saying is – the NFL's bottom line doesn't seem to be affected. Even with Colin Kaepernick, there were people that were outraged about how the NFL was treating Colin Kaepernick. Spike Lee is doing a documentary as we speak on that, that ESPN is working with him on. And people were outraged and people recognized it was wrong. It still didn't affect the NFL's bottom line. Hell, even Roger Goodell acknowledged it was wrong. It didn't affect the bottom line. So in all of these situations, we can be outraged but our outrage isn't affecting how we consume their entertainment product. And so that's why I don't think these NFL teams operate with the degree of discretion that we would expect them to when it comes to something that's, I, I don't know, when you, when you start looking at your moral compass makes you feel really, really uncomfortable. Right. Well, and again, it's not that you necessarily expect a moral stand, but I would say, obviously, in most any workplace. I mean, if it was an accountant who was who was accused by you know twenty three separate women of sexual misconduct, and yet twenty two civil suits, and nine criminal complaints, and an FBI investigation, a Houston PD investigation, like I would imagine that it, when that accountant applies for a new job and changes jobs, if the new employer knows about that, they're probably not making that accountant the highest paid accountant in accounting <laughs> history. Yeah. It's probably going to affect the market of that accountant to some extent. In fact, in, in reality, that accountant might not even be able to get a job after all that, but certainly probably wouldn't be paid like the best accountant of all time. And, sure. and so that's sort of what's shocking here when we keep seeing it in the NFL, because for most of us in our lives, we would be somewhat affected, of course, even just by the mere accusations. And like you said, Chris, we're not going to necessarily get a resolution to this. We're talking civil cases. They're going to go on for years. The majority of civil cases never go to trial. When I mean majority, I mean over 90 percent never go to trial yeah. they settle the settlements are going to be sealed we're never going to hear the terms and most likely it's not going to come from with an admission from Deshaun Watson and yep. and if he settles civil cases and pays as part of those settlements by the way it doesn't mean that he did these things it also doesn't mean that he didn't do these things so we're never going to actually have a resolution to that what we do know is the accusations and the sheer number of separate accusations and that has been surprising also surprising by the way is Adam Schefter breaking news about this Deshaun Watson trade. Apparently, according to Adam Schefter, he just tweeted out, as it turns out, the compensation on the blockbuster trade has changed. The Browns are now giving up six draft picks for Deshaun Watson. Also, instead of giving up a 2024 fifth rounder, it's now a 2024 sixth round pick per today's wire. So you still have the three firsts in this deal. Now it's six Overall, Chris, what is your reaction to the trade assets changing a little bit in this deal, actually getting bigger? That's a lot of draft picks. I'm just sitting there thinking about it. The the Cleveland Browns better rewrite on Deshaun Watson, and their general manager, Andrew Berry, doesn't have a lot of margin for error when it comes to the remaining picks that they have over the course of the next three years because you're going to have to be able to supplement your roster with talent. 
You know, you know, when you start looking at the value of draft choices, it's not just the players and, and how they develop, but it's also getting contributors to your football team at controllable cost. That way you keep your salary cap in check. And for a guy that's going to be taken up based on the structure of the deal, $46 million every single year, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't give them a lot of cap flexibility. So this is something that over the course of the next couple of years, it's going to be tough. But they're banking on Deshaun Watson being able to elevate the talent around them to get them past that point until the salary cap balloons again with the influx of TV money. But, Amber, just to touch on something that you were talking about when it comes to the optics of the situation and what the NFL does for Deshaun Watson moving forward and the civil cases as well, I'm curious to know because usually when you have situations where there are civil suits that individuals will try to settle those suits before – there could be any criminal investigation or criminal liability. And does does the fact that Deshaun Watson doesn't seem like this case is headed down that road, does that change in terms of the dynamic between the accusers and Deshaun and them moving closer or further apart when it comes to actually settling the civil side of it? It's hard to know. Now, given this is unusual, like you said, I mean, listen, there's a lot of times that these things settle before they even become lawsuits. Yeah, because I'm sitting there thinking about the Greg Hardy situation with the Carolina Panthers. He had the civil case and then there was a criminal investigation, but they settled the civil and and the the, criminal investigation goes away because all of a sudden no one's cooperating. The woman did not cooperate. So I'm just curious to know, like now that we're we're seemingly past the criminal side of it. Does that mean that we could get closer to settling something? Or, I mean, how does that play out? So, both sides in this scenario have publicly said they're not going to settle. But then also we know that there's been reports of settlement talks between the two sides. And everyone always postures, we're not going to settle, we're not going to settle. And and the reality is that it's most likely that they are going to settle. Now, if they don't, you know, this is going to go on for years. And the calculation there for Deshaun Watson is how many millions do I want to spend on lawyers fees? Because we're most likely talking about millions of dollars in attorney's fees when we're talking about 22 civil actions against him and spending those millions of dollars on attorney's fees. Sometimes for civil suits, the calculation comes down to something as simple as if this is going to cost me two or $3 million in attorney's fees, maybe instead I throw some money at a settlement now and I make all this go away as opposed to paying that in lawyer's fees at the end of the day. That's not an admission. That doesn't necessarily mean whether these things happened or not. Sometimes it's frankly a bit of a business decision when it comes to civil cases. That doesn't have to transpire. Some of these could go all the way to trial. Again, that would be highly unusual. It's pretty inconceivable that all of them would go all the way to trial. And I would expect that now the positioning of the alleged victims in this case is maybe a bit harmed by the fact that there was no indictment by the grand jury, which there's a pretty low threshold there. And so it kind of means that probably that there's a bit of a lack of evidence here. And if that's the case, then I would imagine that Rusty Hardin, Deshaun Watson's representation might be going to Tony Busby and saying, who represents the women and saying, hey, you know, there's not going to be enough here if we take this all the way to trial for your side. Let's go ahead and get this done. This is what my client's willing to do. Like, those are the sorts of conversations that are happening behind the scenes. We're never going to know about them. We're just going to hear one day, a little blip on the radar, these things are settled. And we're probably not going to have a real resolution to what exactly happened. Coming up, let's pivot to Baker Mayfield. He is looking for a new home. 
because Deshaun Watson is now in his place. But is there a home for Baker? Is he even going to be starting week one? That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Five-year, $230 million contract, full $230 million guaranteed. From a football standpoint, Deshaun Watson is better than Baker Mayfield. That's why he got that contract and Baker didn't. From a football standpoint, Emmett Golden is absolutely correct. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. You can tweet to us at Chris Canty 99 at Amber W790. Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So we've talked a lot about the Deshaun Watson trade, which apparently, according to our very own Adam Shafter just a few minutes ago, was even bigger than we knew because Houston trade or Houston of course traded Deshaun Watson to the Cleveland Browns in return receiving six draft picks six in total compensation including those three first rounders that we already knew about so a six pick deal for Deshaun Watson now of course that means Baker Mayfield is out of a starting job Baker Mayfield is also out of a backup job because within 24 hours, the Browns signed Baker Mayfield or Deshaun Watson and signed Jacoby Brissett. So there's no room now for Baker Mayfield. Four years removed, Chris, from him being the number one pick and frankly, a year removed from him having a really good season. So now the question is, is Baker Mayfield going to be a starting quarterback when the NFL season rolls around? Eight ball says doubtful, Amber. I mean, really, there aren't too many destinations that you would say he's going to be handed a starting job. Right now, I think the list is Seattle and possibly Carolina. That's it. I don't see any other likely landing spots. The Houston Texans had an opportunity to make Baker Mayfield a throw-in in that deal and chose not to. And the fact that the Browns were willing to give up six draft picks, including three consecutive first-round picks, and guarantee Deshaun Watson $230 million. Not only does it speak volumes about Deshaun Watson's ability, but it's also an indictment on Baker Mayfield. Like, we feel like we have a ceiling on our football team because of you, and these are the links that we're willing to go to. We're going to trade for a guy that has 22 pending civil lawsuits against him for sexual misconduct because we think he's that much better than you and he can get us that much further than you could. And apparently that's that much re- more of an adult. I mean, I mean, that portion of this is crazy, right? We hear well, Baker Mayfield, well, he's not an adult, and that's why the Browns want to move on from him. And then they bring in a guy who has 22 bending civil well, actions well, him, as you mentioned. And that portion of this is like, it, Baker's that bad of a leader? Like, he's that bad of a leader that we're bringing in that guy? That's the that's the crazy part about all of this. Now, I will say this. We do have to differentiate between somebody's character and somebody's sports character because in an NFL locker room, it's a very different workplace, and you know there ain't a whole lot of choir boys in those types of spaces, and guys understand and process things a little differently. Like, they can understand, you know, a guy, you know, unfortunately being, you know, in a situation where he runs afoul of the law. What they can't understand is, is why a guy would call out his teammates' toughness or why a guy would openly air out issues or grievances that he has with the organization. And I think that's the place that the Cleveland Browns got to with Baker Mayfield. And as a result of that, Amber, 
knowing that he has that kind of reputation, that he's taking this kind of hit from a perception standpoint, that's going to affect whether or not there are a lot of teams that are interested in bringing him into their organization. That's something that you have to wait. And if you're one of these other teams, when you're weighing whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze when it comes to Baker, you also think about, well, if I'm not the team to give the Browns the compensation, then where is it going to come from? That actually affects what kind of compensation, if there's any compensation going back to Cleveland for Baker Mayfield services. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see where Baker ends up. But if I had to bet it right now, I don't think he's going to be a week one starter. And I'll say this. I don't think it has anything to do with his actual ability. He's a much better quarterback than what he showed last year. I think who he is as a player is more of what we saw in 2020 versus 2021. But, again, with what we saw from OBJ leaving Cleveland and going to L.A. and balling the way that he did and winning the Super Bowl and being an integral part of that that offense, that's an indictment on Baker Mayfield. And it's hard to move past those optics when it comes to Baker moving forward and then also understanding this is a one-year proposition for him. There there are going to be a lot of teams that are saying, you know what, if he's not the answer for us long-term at quarterback, then why are we going to deal with the headache of bringing him into our team? It's pretty remarkable, and I know this is how it works, that in an NFL locker room, that calling out a guy for toughness or airing out dirty laundry would be received so much worse than, you know, being accused of sexual misconduct by 22. A- Amber, <laughs> I, I lived it for I, over a decade. I, I, I I'm, te- I'm just telling you what I it is. I didn't make it what it is, just... Amber. I'm telling you what it is. Oh, I didn't make goodness. it that way. I'm just telling I, you what I, it I is. I get it. I understand. No, you are, you are right. So I, I still think that there's a shot here that Baker ends up a starting quarterback, maybe for the Seattle Seahawks, maybe for the Carolina Panthers. Maybe there's a team like the Detroit Lions out there that we aren't really considering uh, in this race. So it'll be interesting to see, though, just four years removed again from Baker Mayfield being a number one pick. And and like you said, a, a quarterback who has had some success, certainly in the past, and was playing through injury this past season. But coming up, Chris Canty's, Bottom five NFL, NFL Ooh, offseason losers. Let's Is go. Baker Mayfield going to make the list? That's let's it. This go. is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today. Now, I gave you my NFL offseason top five earlier in the show. It is time to take it to the gutter, and we're going to get Chris Canty's bottom five. Which teams were great? tackle at the 15, 10-5, touchdown! What player was not? Does he hang on? Intercepted! He couldn't hang on! This is the NFL Top 5, Bottom 5. All right, Amber, let's get it going. And since you had an honorable mention, I thought it was only fair that I would do an honorable mention. Let me try that again. An honorable mention. And for my honorable mention, the irony of it is that we actually have the same person. Aaron Rodgers is my honorable mention for offseason bottom five or offseason loser, however you want to frame it, because Aaron Rodgers lost his go-to guy in Devontae Adams. And this is a situation now where Aaron Rodgers is trying to enhance his legacy. This is about winning championships. And in recent postseasons, this is a guy that has come up small. In two of the last three postseasons, he lost to Jimmy Garoppolo in this time in the divisional round in inclement weather 
where the opposing offense did not score an offensive touchdown. That's embarrassing for a team that has had three consecutive seasons of 13 wins. So Aaron Rodgers, I don't know exactly how your team is supposed to get any further once we get tourney time when you've lost one of your outright dudes in Devontae Adams. But that's the risk of trying to get everybody in Green Bay to ride the Rodgers roller coaster. You ended up costing yourself one of the most dangerous weapons in the entire National Football League. But let's kick this list off with number five. Number five. The Washington Commanders, formerly known as the Washington football team, the artist, the team, formerly known as the Washington football team. You know why they're the losers, Amber? Because they traded for Carson Wentz. And do you know what they gave up for Carson Wentz? They flipped second-round picks in 2022 with the Indianapolis Colts. So the Colts move up to 42. The Washington football team slides down to 47. And then they traded a 2023 third-round pick that has the potential to turn into a second-round pick if Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps. Now, why do I call that a loser? First of all, because I don't believe in Carson Wentz. This is a guy that had a 4.3 QBR when they played against Jacksonville in a win-and-end situation at the end of the regular season. But then also, this is a guy that Frank Reich vouched for to Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, to bring him over from Philly, gave him, worked with his contract, restructured a couple of things, and then they cut bait with him after one season. If Frank Reich, the guy that believed in him, the guy that coached him in his best season in Philly in 2017, if he cut bait with him after one season, then what does that say about Carson Wentz's ability? And here's the icing on top of the cake. Today, the Indianapolis Colts traded with the Atlanta Falcons for Matt Ryan and gave up a third-round pick. By any measure, Matt Ryan is a better quarterback today than Carson Wentz is. So that makes the Washington Commanders an off-season loser. Keeping it moving, let's go to number four. Tell Losers, us how you really feel, word. by the well, way. Number four. I'm not even going to give you a chance to respond, Amber. Not on that one, because my opinion in my mind is made up on Carson Wentz. You can chime in on this one, however. The Carolina Panthers, owner David Tepper, has been saying he's going to move heaven and earth in order to get a quarterback. They traded for Sam Darnold last off, last offseason. They were in on Deshaun Watson this offseason. They didn't get him. And so now what do you do? You have Sam Darnold, $19 million on a fifth-year option that you exercised last year, and that looks like an albatross because Sam Darnold is relegated to backup quarterback status. I don't even know that you can look at him as an effective bridge nowadays. It's so bad that we're all speculating that the Carolina Panthers could be a place for another reclamation project out of that 2018 draft, one Baker Mayfield. So the Carolina Panthers are losers. David Tepper wants to try to create some buzz around the franchise because he's trying to get allies on his side to build a new stadium for that organization. It's not going too well in his quarterback search, though, and it doesn't feel like it's going that well with his head coach either. Yeah, a slew of quarterback misfires, to put it lightly. David Tepper might be the most desperate for a quarterback out of any team, and you're right, Sam Darnold ain't it. They do have, what, $30 million in cap space. If they brought in a Baker Mayfield, maybe that helps things a little bit, but there's no (laughs) easy easy answer here in Carolina. Absolutely, they're a loser so far this offseason. It's ugly. All right, you're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio, and I'm giving you my NFL bottom five for the NFL offseason. Let's go to number three. You are one pathetic loser. Number three. Yeah, the third biggest loser in the offseason has to be the New Orleans Saints, and I'm not quite sure, Amber, it's because of anything that they did. It's about the things that they haven't done. They weren't able to retain Teron Armstead. Doesn't, they weren't able to retain Marcus Williams. 
Hell, Amber, they weren't able to retain one of the best head coaches in the game in Sean Payton. Now, they do get Jameis Winston to come back on a two-year contract, so that was news that broke early today. So I guess if you're a New Orleans Saints fan, you feel a little bit better about that. But Jameis coming off of an ACL injury, who knows what kind of quarterback he's going to be this upcoming season. But you lose one of the best coaches in all of football, you have to be considered an offseason loser. You lose one of the best left tackles in football, you have to be considered an offseason loser. And you lose one of the best young safeties in the game, you're considered a loser. So my New Orleans Saints, yeah, they're they're the number three. Plus, they struck out on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. So, yes, they're number three on my losers list. They did do that. At least they had an immediate backup plan, other than, unlike the Carolina Panthers, who you just mentioned, right? And, and being able to re-sign Jameis Winston, which obviously looks like a very good move if he can be the quarterback that we saw with them before he tore his ACL. And don't worry, Chris, they were able to retain Taysom Hill. We know how much the Saints love him. They still got him. So You're right. But you know what, him. Amber? We probably should just include all of the NFC South teams in there because Tom Brady retired and then unretired because he realized how easy it was going to be to win that Sean division. Payton might do that, too. Keep, keeping it pushing. Number two. The who? Number two. That's right. I need an Ace Ventura to help me out with this one because this is a team that's used to losing, especially in some of the biggest spots when the lights are brightest. I'm talking about my Dallas Cowboys, Amber, the team that I used to play for. They're the biggest losers. I mean, you lose Lyle Collins. You trade Amari Cooper. You realize you can't retain some of your key free agents because, you know what, that Zeke Elliott contract is an albatross. And then, oh, by the way, Jerry Jones, the apple of your eye, for a head coach in Sean Payton. He's not coaching the New Orleans Saints this year. So you would think that would be a good thing, but you can't bring him over to coach your team either. So from that standpoint, it's got to be considered an L. And of course, all of the moving parts, Connor Williams in free agency, don't know if the Cowboys are going to be able to retain him. They had to be reduced to re-signing Leighton Vander Esch. Not exactly the place that you want to be in terms of upgrading your defense in the middle. You lost Randy Gregory in devastating fashion to the Denver Broncos because of that debacle. So, yeah. But they the Cow- kept their coordinators. Oh, great. They did you win kept, in the coaching you, carousel. You, you they kept did. Your, you kept your coordinators, but then you had the embarrassment of losing your VP and director of communications, Rich Dalrymple, to a quote-unquote retirement after a scandal involving him walking into the cheerleaders' locker room. And then Jerry Jones. You had the claim of an illegitimate child out there. So it's definitely not an offseason where you would consider the Dallas Cowboys a winner on or off the field. But they have the coordinators. They okay. Have the coordinators. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And in fairness, listen, Collins was their decision. Amari Cooper was their decision. Like some of the things that you mentioned were in the Cowboys' control. But yes, there are things there that I cannot argue about that the Dallas Cowboys have certainly had some ups and downs, to put it lightly, this offseason. <laughs> All right. All right, and number one with a bullet on the list. Losers, in other words. Number one. It has to be Baker Mayfield. He has to top the list, Amber. He's the biggest loser. The Cleveland Browns said, you can't be our starter. You can't even be our backup. Right now, you're number three on the depth chart, and we're trying to find somebody that wants to trade for you. But guess what? We're having a hard time finding a landing spot for you. We think you're so bad that we had to go out and pay a quarterback $230 million in guaranteed money, and we forked over six, count them, six draft picks over the next three years. So Baker Mayfield, certainly one of the biggest losers, if not the biggest loser this offseason, so much so to the point now where a guy that was the number one overall pick four years ago is having a hard time finding a starting job. I mean, Amber, think about this. 
Baker Mayfield's career trajectory could be going the route of one Mitch Trubisky. That's what we could be headed down, where he's got to hatch on to a team that has an incumbent in place and hope that some of the shine from that quarterback rubs off on him over a year, be a good teammate, and see if there could be another landing spot for him. That's how far from grace Baker Mayfield has fallen. Just go stand next to Josh Allen, Baker. You'll be fine. Uh, you'll end up. You'll end up on your feet. Uh, he is absolutely having a very rough offseason. He could still turn things around and become a starting quarterback, but it is not going well for him. I thought Mina Kimes put it perfectly earlier when she said some of this feels like a game of musical chairs and like Baker is the odd man out when the music stops. And I think that's happening to Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo. And I don't think it's because Baker's so bad or even the rumors about him uh, as a teammate or inside the locker room. Frankly, some of it is that there's just not many landing spots left for any quarterback, nevertheless, for Baker Mayfield. All right, so that is my list of the bottom five, the biggest NFL offseason losers. So we got the Washington football team, well, Washington Commanders checking in at number five. I might want to call them one of the biggest losers for picking the Washington Commanders as their team name, too. That has to factor into the math as well. Number four, the Carolina Panthers. Number three, the New Orleans Saints. Number two, the Dallas Cowboys. And number one, one Baker Mayfield. Amber, what do you make of the list? The fo- I like the list. The football team was such a better name. Just yes, Washington it was. Football yes, it team, was. Such a b- better name than Commanders. But I guess we'll get over it at some point here and get used to saying it. Coming up, is Urban Meyer one step closer to a college football return? We'll explain next. This is ESPN Radio. You are one pathetic loser. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Tom Brady unretiring leads into a lot of thoughts on his relationship with Bruce Arians and what else was going down and where he actually wanted to go. More from the guys Tuesday morning starting at 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio and ESPN2. ESPN Radio. This has been one wild March madness, a historic March madness in terms of the disparity inside everybody's bracket because everybody's bracket is busted. Everybody's bracket was busted, Chris, back in 2021 real quick, too. And I wondered if maybe some of that was still, you know, pandemic related, you know, limited, no crowds, that sort of thing. Well, now we're playing in a far more normal year and brackets are still getting busted early on left and right. No bracket buster is bigger than the St. Peter's Peacocks. They are the biggest Cinderella ever, you could argue, to get this far. They are even less likely than Florida Gulf Coast was in 2013 or Oral Roberts was last year in 2021. Of course, the third number 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16. And there's three other double-digit seeds that are still dancing as well. They don't have the same mid-major appeal, but Michigan, Iowa State, and Miami were all double-digit seeds headed into the madness. Chris, it's, it's madness. No, it absolutely is, but this is why we love this time of year. And with a wide-open field, it's anybody's guess as to who's going to be cutting down the nets once we get to the national title game, which is going to be down in New Orleans. So I think everybody's excited about what's going to come out of it. But to your point, St. Peter's was the biggest story over the weekend. And seeing their head coach, Shaheen Holloway, and hearing the soundbite from him and saying that we're not going to back down from anybody. I got guys from New York City, from New Jersey. You think we scared? We think we worried about somebody trying to outmuscle us, out-tough us. That's what we do. Like, that was one of those moments. That was one of those soundbites. 
that everybody is going to remember from this NCAA tournament. So good on the Peacocks for being able to advance to the Sweet 16. And I love this about college basketball. I think that's the big difference between college basketball and college football. You usually don't see those mid-major programs have the opportunity to compete and knock off the big boys. You, you usually don't see that happen. And so I think that part of that part, that element in March Madness is what attracts everybody and makes it a must-watch event. I agree with you. I mean, the best part of March Madness is watching the schools that you've never heard of take down the blue blood programs and the biggest programs in the sport. But what's weird is it seems like the NCAA tournament selection committee doesn't necessarily agree because in recent years, it's selected fewer and fewer teams from outside the power conferences. And in the rare instances where two teams from non-power leagues have gotten strong seeds, the committee has pitted them against each other, like when Murray State matched up against San Francisco. So it would lead one to believe that the committee actually thinks that maybe the Blue Buds are better for rating. We all say that we love to watch Kentucky lose, but maybe really ratings-wise, we like to watch Kentucky make it all the way. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. ESPN Radio. We are taking it down the stretch here on ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. You can tweet to us at Chris Canty 99 at Amber W790. We've had an action-packed show. Breaking news with Matt Ryan. He is now, of course, an Indianapolis Colt. Marcus Mariota is going to fill his spot in Atlanta for the Atlanta Falcons. We found out from Adam Schefter that the trade for Deshaun Watson was even bigger than we thought. Uh, the Houston Texans got six draft picks in return for that compensation for trading away Deshaun Watson to the Cleveland Browns. We've also Amber, had a how, lot long, of- how long is it going to be before we hear from Baker Mayfield that his preferred destination is the Seattle Seahawks now? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because Baker Mayfield's reported preferred destination was the Indianapolis Colts. So I wonder what we're like. I mean, he's basically left with the Seahawks or the Panthers, right? Like, that's what we're looking at. You're going to have to choose one, Baker. But maybe just pipe down a little bit because you don't have a no trade clause. And I'm not sure how much your team cares right now about what your preferred destination is. But I digress. We've had a lot of fun with guests on today's show. Thanks goes out to Myron Metcalf, our ESPN college basketball reporter, and of course, our ESPN radio host uh, for joining us. We talked some hoops with him. We also talked some NFL with him as well. We had Harry Douglas join us, ESPN football analyst and friend of the show, friend of both of ours. He played for both the Falcons and the Titans, so he gave us a lot of insight on Matt Ryan and Marcus Mariota. Mina Kimes also joined us, of course, ESPN NFL analyst, NFL Live, the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. I mean, there's just too much after Mina Kimes' name to even just say it all, but she joined us. She was fabulous earlier talking about all things NFL. Now it's time to go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is three and out. So this falls into sometimes the worst category, Chris Canty. There's a lot of reports Mm. out there about Urban Meyer over the last 24 hours. We're finding out things were maybe even uglier in Jacksonville than any of us realized. And we already knew things did not go well during his tenure, and we had already heard how he treated players, and now we're hearing a whole lot more of that coming out of Jacksonville. But don't worry, Urban Meyer, he's got a new gig. Very close to Ohio State, not actually with Ohio State, Mm -hmm. but the former Ohio State coach 
has joined the board of an NIL nonprofit that is run by Ohio State Boosters. So it's basically a nonprofit that gives NIL deals to Ohio State players. He's still got that affiliation there. And there's a recruiting element to this with Ohio State players. What do you make of Urban Buyer being, even if he's at arm's length away, but being anywhere near that Ohio State program right now? It's icky. I think that's the best word that I can come up with. I, I just don't like Urban Meyer in any way, shape, form, or fashion being associated with a college football program. I think he's lost the privilege to have that opportunity based on how he was ousted, how he left things, um, knowing some of the incidents that he covered up with some of his assistants. I, I think when you start talking about shaping young hearts and minds of student-athletes, there has to be a high standard. Uh, there has to be a moral compass. Um, that that is involved with that, and Urban Meyer hasn't shown the ability to be able to do that. So, so Amber, for me, it's a problem. Now, is it a problem for Ohio State? I don't know. Um, apparently, this is supposed to be one of the biggest boosters for the athletic program for the school. But to just think that Urban Meyer is involved in a quote-unquote nonprofit, let me tell you, Urban Meyer has never done anything involved in football, not for profit. So the fact that he's involved in this and he's going to be – doling out checks to guys that are going to Ohio State or players that they're trying to recruit, it just doesn't feel right to me to have him associated with college athletics in any way, shape, form, or fashion other than being able to talk about it from a broadcast booth. I hate comparing situations. One thing I have noticed, though, over the last 24 hours as I've been discussing the Deshaun Watson thing is people keep throwing at me, you know, allegations shouldn't affect anything, and if it's not criminal, we don't care, essentially. And it has been interesting, though, that the reaction to Urban Meyer is wholly different than the reaction to Deshaun Watson. And those are also allegations, and those also aren't criminal. So I, I have found that component of this interesting. It's just different situations, but I understand, of course, this is how the NFL works and how NFL plays. It's different work. in college, though, too, right? Because we are talking about kids. You know, and, and yeah, kids I don't, being, yeah, I think this makes wrong. it a little I don't bit want, different. Right, and, and given Urban Meyer's arguably one of the greatest college coaches of all time, uh, so I guess when we talk about this being a business, you can understand how these programs, and again, it's not the actual Ohio State program. It's a charity that is affiliated. A charity. Loosely, that's a nice way to Ohio put it, State. Amber. It's a charity. It, well, it's a it's a nonprofit, right? I guess that's I guess charity might be overstating it. It's charitable causes, but it is assisting these students in in getting paid. So it's a it's a weird situation optics wise with Urban Meyer, as that situation has just grown uglier, frankly, over the last twenty four hours with the reports that have been coming out surrounding him. So great show today. Lots of breaking news. Next, Spain and Fitz. They're also going to have a great show. I'm guessing they're also probably going to touch on all the breaking news. This has been ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Chris Canty.